What is up, everybody? This is Brayden from Flint Mastering, and I am the host and content curator of the Mixing Music Podcast exclusive episodes. And today we have for you an exclusive archive, which means you're going to hear an exclusive episode that DK and I recorded almost a year ago. You're going to have the chance to hear what our exclusive episodes are all about and how much fun and learning goes on between me and DK as we discuss technical tips and important techniques in relation to producing mixing and mastering. If you enjoy this episode and you'd like to be a part of the exclusive content we provide twice a week, you can do so by heading over to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. And we couldn't do this podcast without you. I hope you enjoy this episode of the exclusive archives. And with that, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Welcome back to another exclusive, subscriber-only episode of the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host for today, Brayden from Flint Mastering, and joining me is the running athlete with numb feet, daddy DK. What's up, DK? How's it going, man? Oh, man. Um, yes, I'm, I'm running. Uh, we recorded all of these episodes at the same time, so it's like, <laughs> if he was running last episode, it's because it's still the same day for us. You're just hearing this episode on a different day. <laughs> <laughs> but chances are you ran that Dude, day. Dude, my feet were super, yeah, my feet were super numb today. Like, it was weird. It was like I had, like, slept or sat down in a weird position, but oh. both my feet were just, like, totally numb. I think it's because I just need to get new shoes. I was going to say, maybe you should look into some new shoes, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at a certain point, like, pushing through the pain is, like, a good idea. But then at a certain point, it's like, this is avoidable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I think I just need some new shoes. Anyway, uh, let's get cool. into today's uh, today's topic. Sweet. Well, before we get into it, as always, thank you for subscribing. We love you. We appreciate you. We couldn't do this without you. And we're excited that you're back for another episode with us. Today, we are going to take a listen to a clip from Lou Diaz. And if you don't know who Lou Diaz is, he is a multi-platinum Grammy award-winning producer and mix engineer. Uh, just so y'all know, he's mixed for the likes of the Baja Men, P. Diddy, 50 Cent, Juvenile, Beanie Man, Trick Daddy, Lil Jon, Beyonce, Tony Braxton, Mary J. Blige, and Lauren Hill. And he has two Grammy Awards for his work on the Baja Men song, Who Let the Dogs Out, and Beanie Man's Art and Life album. And I just want to say, this might be a hot take before we get into this, but I went back and listened to Who Let the Dogs Out today. That song is trash, man. If you're not at a hockey game or you're not like drunk out of your mind on a beach going crazy, like whipping your shirt over your head, <laughs> that song sucks, dude. Wait, wait, it wait, is... wait, 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 wait. Like, like in general, like from general enjoyment standard? Yeah, it's not good. That's a it's hot take. A, hot it's take. It's not a good song to listen to. And what honestly, I like, well, hold on, hold on. You, you also <laughs> think about like, have did you grow up listening to any sort of like reggae or like, like, you, like island music at all? No, no. So it's just like weird. It's like it's like telling a Chinese dude who's never lived in America, it's like something that's country based. 
It's not that different, but at the same time, it's different enough. I don't know. I guess that makes sense. But I mean, I, I, growing I just, up listening to a lot of island music, I was just like thinking about it right now. It's like, I don't hate it. There are definitely <laughs> a lot of worse, like deep cut jungle reggae songs that were like recorded <laughs> yes. with absolutely no budget. That's true. Well, and I will say it is an amazing song for like exciting events, like to get pumped up and everything. But just to like have it on shuffle on your iPod, man, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> just like unexpected. <laughs> yeah. That makes anyway, sense. We'll listen to Lou talk about, uh, in this clip, he's going to talk about what level you should mix to before you send to a mastering engineer. So without further ado, Lou Diaz, roll the tape. question I get asked a lot is, what level or what peak level do I send my mix at for mastering? You want your level to be normal. You want your level to be at maybe 80%. You want to give the mastering engineer room to work for them to add things. You don't want to smash the, the, the bus on the way out and then leave the mastering engineer no room to do anything to help your mix and literally killing all your dynamics. But with that said, while you're mixing a record, at least for me, I I crank, man. I take this baby to 11. So what I do is I usually mix very loud and then with a VCA or with a group trim, I'll trim everything back in relation to each other. See? The entire mix is actually grouped together. What I would say is on Pro Tools, you'd want the meter to be 75% at least, but you don't want to get too high. All right, DK, so the overall gist of this clip is he basically says, leave your mastering engineer some headroom. He talks about how he likes to personally mix loud. Uh, I know I've heard you say before that you like to mix loud. So if you're not mastering yourself, which I know you do a lot of, how much headroom do you personally leave for mastering engineers, if you leave any at all? Yeah, now this is where personal preference comes into play, right? Where... Or rather, not personal preference, it's like more a rule of thumb. These rules of thumb exist to prevent incidents, but doesn't mean that um, if followed, it'll be the best results. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, they're there more to prevent people that don't know better to do anything stupid. It's not there to uh, uh, change your creativity or affect your creativity in any way. So um, knowing that the reason why it's a rule of thumb is because you don't want things distorting and you don't want, you want to give your mastering engineer, uh, a good amount of headroom for them to succeed at their job the most. Now, as someone that masters constantly and I find recent, I don't know what it is. The last month or two, I've been mastering more than I've been mixing. I think it's just been an influx with the label that I master for that the A&R has just been sending me so much stuff to master. Um, so this is just hot on my mind. Um, a lot of the mixers that go through this A&R that send, uh, send me stuff to master, um, some of them leave me some headroom, and others are just like absolutely no headroom. And I can tell you from that perspective as the one who needs to master to the A&R's expectation, to the client's expectation, I can do a much better job if you give me headroom. But that being said because I don't want to slow down the the machine that they've built and the, the communication, I'm going to work on it no matter what. And if the mixer does a good job, like if I genuinely like their mix from the get-go and I think it's subjectively good, then I don't give a shit about headroom because I'm not going to do much with it to begin with. Um, so it's this weird in between. I like to mix hot and I'm afraid of using like a VCA or a trim tool to turn everything down because that may change the way the mix sounds. That may change something. You know, not not every volume fader, plug in, everything works linear. And so like 
I, it's probably fine, but I'm afraid to turn it down. So I, if I make something too hot, I'm going to send it to the mastering engineer too hot. Um, but oftentimes, from personal experience, when I'm mixing and gain staging as I'm mixing, I know that at the end, I have enough headroom for the mastering engineer to be happy. Um, and I'm probably not going to send the mastering engineer my mix with a final limiter on it. You know, I'm going to leave him that headroom. But that being said, everything else on my mix bus is still on it. Even potentially even my first limiter, as long as it's on purpose. Um, I mix loud and I think that you should send your mastering engineer how you intended the mix to sound. And if this, if that's loud, then that's loud. But um, if you want the mastering engineer to do their job to the best that they can, make sure to leave some headroom. So I have a couple questions for you based off of stuff you said. If people in this label or mix engineers in the label send you a track with no headroom, then at that point, what are you doing? Are you clip gaining it down so you can bring it back up? Are you just doing EQ and adding another limiter? If there's no headroom, what are you doing with the track? That's a great question. Yeah, I do clip gain it down mostly because if I put on any sort of analog analog emulating plugins or if I go through analog equipment itself, um, it'll be too hot. The signal will be too hot through those emulations or actual gear um, and it'll start distorting and clipping um, within those emulations or actual hardware. So I turn it down, um, but then, uh, yeah, I end up turning it up again with a final limiter. Um, turning it down doesn't... It doesn't unclip anything that's already clipping, but it's creating headrooms to reach optimal level for the emulated plugins or actual gear. Um, I wouldn't overthink that and think that gain staging is super important and like how hot you hit gear is going to make or break a final master and not like final mix for sure. Maybe a final master, it can make or break a song, but not for a final mix. I, I, I don't think that it's that important. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, no, that's definitely something I do. I turn the clip gain down so I can do proper processing at ideal levels through the emulated gear or actual gear. Um, and then I bring it back up. So it, And then with things that are less headroom, I do less dynamic changes and more tonal changes. And oftentimes things that are over-compressed or over-limited, I do my very best to synthetically add dynamics um, with, uh, com uh, what is it, not uh, compression, but with expanding um, and various different things, gates and expansion and transient designer type things. Um, there's various, various different tools, even just within the um, isotope ozone suite that can help you kind of bring some of that energy back up. And so that's just something to think about. Cool. That's okay. That makes a lot of sense. And so now going off of that, earlier you said that sometimes if you mix a track too hot, you'll just send it to the mastering engineer too hot. So as a mix engineer and someone who's mixing for your clients, uh, let's say you get the final mix approved by the client and it's too hot. So then you send it to the mastering engineer. What are you expecting the mastering engineer to do at that point with your mix? So Just if I send the mastering changes? engineer a hot mix, yeah, like it's super hot. Like you don't really need them to make it louder. Is at that point, are you just expecting tonal changes for your well, client? If, if I'm or? sending it to a final mastery engineer, I'm not gonna send it to him hot. Okay. Like I'm not like hot by hot. I mean like high RMS, but it's not at zero point one dB oh. ceiling. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, like I see, I see. Like it's it's loud and compressed, but I still got at least two to five dBs of headroom. 
Oh, so I take okay. off my final limiter. So all it is is like I may have a limiter on it, but it's not my final limiter, you know? Got I might it. take that off. <laughs> I don't give them yeah. a fully limited mix. And sometimes I receive those and it's just like not much I can do other than some EQ stuff. Yeah. And, and try not to limit anything in the and the outgo. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely, so I send it to them hot, but it's, I mean hot RMS, not hot peak. I understand. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. And that, uh, as a mastering engineer myself, I know that, everyone has a different workflow and everyone does things differently and stuff. But like one of my biggest pet peeves is when I get a track that has no headroom. Cause it's kind of like, I, you know, I can change things tonally, but the thing is if the mix has already been approved by the artist and they like the way it sounds tonally and it's super loud, then I feel like for me, I'm kind of like, well, I'm not, what do you want me to do to this, you know? Because it's going to come back, it's going to sound different than what the client's been listening to, and they might not be happy with it. So in my personal experience, if you send it to a mastering engineer, I always prefer 3 to 6 dB of headroom. Anywhere in that range is perfect. And then one thing I did notice as I was mastering some projects this past week is I, I've always been kind of fascinated with why can I make this song so much louder than another song? when I'm using kind of similar processing. And I noticed the songs that the peak is closer to the, um, I guess you could say RMS, like the body of the signal, the closer those two are together, the louder I can make the track overall. Whereas like, I think we've discussed this before, if you have a hip hop track that's got like a really quiet intro and like verse and everything where there's no drums and then the chorus is just slamming drums, like it, there's only so loud you can make it because the chorus is preventing you from going super loud. So that's one thing I've noticed. I don't know if that changes anyone's mixes or anything, but if it helps, like getting the RMS, the average, like smaller level, closer to the peak level, that does help your mastering engineer, at least for me anyway. <laughs> so something to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah. But, like um, if you're if you're going out of your way to hire a mastering engineer, I assume it's in your best interest to allow them, give them the room to do their best work. Yeah. You know, so like, yeah, you should leave some headroom, but what it doesn't mean is if you like the sound of your limiting, take off your limiter. Or even if you like the sound of your own limiting. It, it just means like you can have hot RMS mixes, you just take off the final limiter and let that peak, you know, give, give that final headroom, you know, to the mastering engineer, like let them do their job. Yep. That's all it is. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Let us, <laughs> let us do our job. Uh, cool. Well, I think that's a really great spot to wrap up there. Um, oh, and, always, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait and, yes. and on top of that for you, Brayden, if an A&R or an artist, and this is depending on the situation, Right, like depending on the situation, your relationship with them, sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut and do it anyway instead of slowing down the entire process just to, just for your pride of being able to do your work too. Like you got to find that middle ground. Like, yeah. hey, like I refuse to work on this unless it's like you give me some headroom. It's like, bro, like so many people are working on this before you. Like, there's so there's <laughs> such a long process. Like, you just can you just do it, please? It's like, and you got you got to consider what they want. You know what? That happened to me one time. It was a first-time client. They sent me the mixes, and I got them, and they were already like like minus five LUFS. They were so loud and just slammed and compressed, and I was like, it was when I was a little bit newer, so I was like, 
I don't know what to do with this. Like, so I went back to the mix engineer. I said, hey, could you send these to me with the final limiter off? He sends the files again. It's the same file. Nothing changed. And then, yeah, to this point, it did kind of slow the process down because he's like, well, let me go back to the mix engineer and ask him if he can change anything. He might not be able to at this point. So he asked the mix engineer. Mix engineer says he can't. So then I was like, okay, well, just so you're aware, like, I can't change the loudness on this. It's just going to be tonal changes. And they were like, well, like, will we be able to hear the difference? And I was like, yeah, you, you should be able to. And I sent it to them, and I didn't change the level. Literally, all I did was, like, boost the vocals out of the mix at, like, 3K, and they were totally happy with it. So in that case, you know, hands were tied a little bit, but, uh, you know, I... I guess I guess technically I should have just gone with it, but I did push back a little bit, and then it ended up working out okay. But I agree, it it all depend like you said, it all depends on your relationship with people. So. Yeah, and and oftentimes I think we've talked about this in the past. Like, oftentimes from a mastery engineer, what a mixer and an artist wants is more of a thumbs up than any sort of change to what they've already worked on. Yeah. So it's like it's it's that being able to read the room and figure out what they want, and then more importantly. Let's say you determine that um, nothing needs to be changed, so you send back a master with very little change, but they're unhappy with it. Like You have to have the confidence to know that what you sent them was appropriate, and this is just on them. Yep. So like it's a balance. Like I would say most people have an ego that beats down on them that tells them like every time a client says like that wasn't it, then like that means you suck. And but the, I tweeted this today. Like my tweet. <laughs> there's also the opposite end, which which my tweet I today was. You saw it. Yeah, um, yeah. is like there's a lot of some of the engineers out here are complaining about artists having demoitis and their mixes completely suck like yo shut the fuck up and make better mixes <laughs> like like I literally there's I think there's a lot of people that blame demoitis and that's not the case uh, but I think that also at the same time I think you know what you are if you really look deep within yourself if you're honest with yourself like it's okay to stand up for yourself um, but don't have, try not to have that cognitive bias. All right. That's all. I'm going <laughs> to, cool. before we launch into the psychology portion of the podcast, <laughs> sweet. Well, uh, I said we were going to wrap it up and then we went on, but we'll wrap it up here now. Um, as always links.dkmixes.com, dkmixes.com forward slash videos and join the mixing music discord. If you haven't already, I'm assuming you have, and thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. We love you, we appreciate you, and we couldn't do this without you. And with that, DK, sign us off. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy.